So my name is Byron. I'm one of the elders here at Metrobrine Church, and I've um, been doing that for about 14 years now. I'm also the Celebrate Recovery ministry lead here. God called me into that a, number, a few years ago. My wife and I have been attending this church for 21 years now, and it's been a great place for us to grow. Um, we raised our three kids um, while attending this church, and they're all gone now. They kind of left us. They're all in college in three different states. We have one in Virginia, one in Wyoming, and one in Nebraska. So we don't get to see them as much as we'd like, but we're super proud of them. The first time we attended this church 21 years ago, we knew that this was the place for us. We knew this is where God was calling us to be. And um, God has done a growth in me. And I'm so thankful for this church. I'm thankful for the pastors here and the elders here. I've learned so much and God has grown me. And um, in the, uh, you guys all remember 2020? Remember what that was like? The year we want to forget, right? Well, that's where God was speaking to me one day. I was out, I was out exercising out in the Wildcat Hills. I like to go out there and ride my bike or do a hike. And I, God was speaking pretty clearly to me that day. And he's like, I want you to start a recovery program. I was like, what? Why me? I'm just, no. First, first reaction was no, right? I'm in control. I don't think so. But I did um, say yes to God, didn't understand how this was all going to work. I agreed to it with God as long as I didn't have to do any speaking. It's like, okay, I'll lead this program, just don't make me get up in front of people. Well, here I am. John asked me about um, a month ago to um, speak for this weekend, so here we are, doing saying yes to God again for something I didn't completely understand why. But it is growth. God stretches us, and he's got a perfect plan. So I want to pray before we get started here. God, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the work you've done in my life. And I pray this morning that you would uh, speak to all of us, that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have for us. I had to give up control to you completely for you to do a work in me. I had to make room. And I pray that um, you would stir in us this morning to make some room and surrender all to you. So thank you, Lord. In your name, amen. So we've been in this series called Healthy Hearts. And um, we named this sermon today The Right Tools for your troubles. Most of you know me, know I'm kind of a tool guy. Um, I do uh, remodeling for a living. So I kind of relate really well to Celebrate Recovery because what we do in Celebrate Recovery is we work those eight principles and the 12 steps and God begins to do a transformation in us. He remodels us. He helps us work on our hurts, habits, and hangups. And he does um, a work. In, in our lives, and I'm so thankful for that. So it's important to have the right tools on the job. When I go to a job, and it could be 34 mile, 30 to 40 miles out of town sometimes, I like to have those right tools with me at all times because if you get there and you don't have the right tool, you're stuck. 
And that might be where some of us are at in our lives right now. We might be stuck. We might be um, stuck with some of our hurts, some of our habits, and some of our hangups. Because there's troubles that come our way absolutely every day. God laid a scripture on my heart that I want to share with this morning to start with, and that's in John chapter 16 and 32 and 33. A little bit of the context is that the disciples are here with Jesus, and um, I think the disciples are a little bit worried. They've been with Jesus for some time now, and they can go to him, and they're with him every day, and they can ask him any question they want at any time. But the time right now, there's time coming, and there's time to die on the cross is soon. So death, burial, and resurrection is what he's talking to him about here. A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered. Each to your own home, you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. So he's basically telling them, you guys are just going to scatter, you're going to kind of leave me, but it's okay, I have my Father. And John was the only one that was with him at the time of his death on the cross. And verse 33 is our, kind of our key verse for today. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's telling them, it's like, dude, no panic. It's okay, I'll be back. No worries here. I have overcome the world. So in this passage, it doesn't say if I have trouble. It says when I have trouble, right? So when conflict, trials, and persecution come our way, we need the necessary tools to help us through the storm. I've been through a few storms, and I know for a fact that Jesus is the calmer of the storm. And he tells us in this passage to take heart. I have overcome the world. You know, I thought of, when I thought about how Jesus comes to storm, God brought another scripture to my mind in uh, Mark, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 40. And a lot of us probably remember this if you went to children's church or um, Sunday school or something like that. I'm sure you were probably um, taught this story. So that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats there with him. A furious squall came up, and waves broke over the boat so it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. In verse 40, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So again, another story with the disciples. So what is your first reaction to a storm, to trouble, to tribulation? When stuff comes your way, what is your reaction to that? You know, we have a choice to make when trouble comes our way, because it is going to come our way. 
We can either give it to God, right? First thing, what we're supposed to do, go to him. Or we can take control and try to fix things ourselves, rely on our own strength. How far does that go? You know, one of the things that Celebrate Recovery taught me by working these eight principles and these 12 steps, by using, God equipped me with the tools to help me with my control problem. Because I did have a control problem, and I didn't even realize it until I went through Celebrate Recovery in those steps. Codependency is one of the things that we all struggle with some. And... Um, There's different levels of it. Some of us are extreme, but we all struggle with this some. I got an illustration that represents codependency fairly well. And it was a painful illustration in my life, but I'm going to share that with you. We've had a lot of rain this year, and that's been awesome. I don't have underground sprinklers, so it was great to get all this rain. I was out there, and I was working in my backyard and kind of doing some landscaping and stuff. And I looked over, and I saw this a little bit of a dip under my fence. And um, I thought maybe it was the rabbits at first, digging holes again, but no, no rabbits. I went over there and inspected a little closer, and I could see that because of the rain, we got some serious settling. You see, I replaced that sewer line a few years ago, and I probably didn't get it packed and made it so the water would slope away quite right. So I went through the other side of the fence and I noticed a bigger hole. I got a sinkhole going on here right next to my egress window well. I'm like, wow, that's not good. I should probably take care of that. But I didn't. I ignored it and I thought to myself, you know what? I got a list of other problems I need to fix first. Everybody else, I'm lined up to fix everybody else's basement problems and bathroom problems. So I'm not going to take care of my own problem. Besides the fact that if I go take care of their problems, that pays better. So I ignored it. Two days later, I think we had a two-inch rain. Guess where that went? Straight down that hole, through the window, into my basement. First step down the stairs, I stepped in water. That was a horrible feeling because I had the basement just the way I wanted it. Now it was destroyed again. My wife and I got busy cleaning everything out, moving to one end of the basement, got the shop vacs out, cleaned it up as much as we could, and then I just left it alone. I went back to fixing other people's problems because I was thinking this is a quick fix. I'll be able to roll the carpet back, call it good. Not so. About two weeks later, I was down there, and I kind of noticed the smell coming on. I was like, what is that smell? I knew what it was because I remodeled for a living. It was mold. I had a lot of water that had soaked into the drywall, and I ignored it. So now I got a big problem. Now that reminded me of a verse here that describes it pretty well. It's in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? And pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your own eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So yeah, that one hit me pretty good. 
I had a plank in my own eye and I was trying to take care of everybody else's specs. That was a great example of codependency in my life. Now I do have a definition of codependency description for Celebrate Recovery. And I want to share some of this stuff with you to see if anything rings a bell with you, to see if maybe you struggle with it just a little bit too. My good feelings about who I am stem from being loved by you. My good feelings about who I am stem from receiving approval from you. My struggle affects my serenity. My mental attention focuses on solving your problems or relieving your pain. My mental attention is focused on pleasing you. It's focused on protecting you. My self-esteem is bolstered by solving your problems. My self-esteem is bolstered by relieving your pain. My own hobbies and interests are put aside. My time is spent sharing your interests and hobbies. Your clothing and a personal appearance are dictated by my desires as I feel you are a reflection of me. Your behavior is dictated by my desires as I feel you are a reflection of me. I'm not aware of how I feel. I'm aware of how you feel. I'm not aware of what I want. I ask what you want. I'm not aware. I assume. The dreams I have for my future are linked to you. My fear of rejection determines what I say or do. My fear of your anger determines what I say or do. I use giving as a way of feeling safe in our relationship. My social circle diminishes as I involve myself with you. I put my values aside in order to connect with you. I value your opinion and way of doing things more than my own. The quality of my life is in direct relation to the quality of yours. Now, I remember the first time I read that, and I was like, oh boy. Oh boy. I had no clue. I really didn't. So it was eye-opening for me to go through that and realize that I had a major codependency problem. And that, and that is why God called me into the recovery program to work on that. I went there for a different reason, and God showed me where I was struggling, and that was control. When I take control, things become a mess. Some other areas in our life, hurts, habits, and hangups, they begin to develop over the years in our journey. And I want to define those real quick before we go to the tools to help us with the hurts, habits, and hangups and the troubles that we face every day. So hurts. The feeling of being hurt is an emotional reaction to another person's behavior or to a disturbing situation like abuse, abandonment, codependency, divorce, relationship issues, grief, etc. How about habits? An addiction to someone or something. Alcohol, drugs, food, gambling, sex, pornography, shopping, yes, shopping, smoking, chewing, controlling, etc. How about hang-ups? Hang-ups are a negative mental attitudes that are used to cope with people or adversity like anger, depression, fear, or unforgiveness. Now, what is that first step in having victory over our hurts, habits, and hang-ups? 
When trouble comes our way every day, what is that first step? In Romans 15, 4, it says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The first step, (laughs) pick up the word of God, talk to him. Jesus is there for you, and we need to surrender all to him. Now, in our first lesson, whoop, our first lesson in Celebrate Recovery, and I'm not going to give you the whole thing. You're just going to get a taste of it. You've got to come to Celebrate Recovery to give the whole lesson. We are going to go through some of the principles and through some of the steps today. Pastor John has been talking about the Beatitudes some, so we're not going to go into those a lot. But denial, denial is our first lesson in Celebrate Recovery. Refusing to believe that we had a problem. See, I refused to believe that I had a problem in my basement after, you know, I thought I had the quick fix and I ignored the rest of it. So even with, the, even with that hole that was outside my window, I refused to believe that that was a problem, but it became a problem real quick. So principle one in Celebrate Recovery, this is in the Beatitudes, is to realize that I'm not God. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. Matthew 5, 3 is a verse. Happy are those who know they are, happy are no, happy are those who know they are spiritually poor. That's a good place to be. You're broken. You're humble. You're ready for God to do a work in you. You know, the first time I looked at this principle, realized I'm not God. Well, yeah, I know that. I'm not God. Of course I know that. But then God pointed out to me later, he goes, you know what? You're acting like God. You're taking control of every situation. It's like, oh, oh yeah. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors that our lives had become unmanageable. Romans 17 718 that says, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. You ever been there? You got this addiction that you can't just stop when you want to stop it, right? You've tried to do it on your own, but you are powerless against it. That sin struggle is common to us all. I can remember back when I was first introduced to pornography in junior high and high school. It was a bad deal. And I couldn't get out of it. It's like, I, am, I wanted to do the right thing, but I couldn't get out of it. I was stuck in a rut. And it's so destructive what pornography does. It ruins relationships. But I turned to God because I tried to do everything myself first, right? I turned to God and I asked him for help. And he gave me this verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man and God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will provide a way of escape. He always provides a way out, a way out of this. And that's by turning to him. I memorized the scripture and I had to say it daily. I had to surrender to him daily. Are you guys ready to take a journey 
on the road to recovery? Because journey does begin with principle one. I have two questions for y'all. Am I going to let my past failures prevent me from taking this journey? Am I afraid to change? A lot of us don't like change. Or what are my fears for the future? So we're going to take a look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. This is part of this first lesson on denial. Now, like I said, if you come back to CR on Wednesday nights, you will get the rest of this lesson. Since we have such a huge crowd of men of faith watching us from the grandstands, let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back. And especially those sins that wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up. And let us run with patience the particular race that God has set before us. God does not want us to be a slave to our hurts, habits, and hangups. I was a slave to pornography for a while. And God helped me out of that mess, and I'm so thankful for that because that was so destructive. And I've been a slave to my control, that codependency for so long. And God's helping me through that as well. And he's given me some painful illustrations to show me. So two of the things I would like to point out in this verse. God has a particular race, a unique plan for each and every one of us. His plan is for good. This plan is definitely not for a life full of dependencies, addictions, and obsessions. That is not God's plan at all. So number two, we must be willing to get rid of all the unnecessary baggage, past failures in our lives that keep us stuck. We got to get rid of the baggage, make some room for what God wants us to do. So again, it says strip off anything that slows us down and holds us back. What is that that's got you stuck? What is holding you back? It is time to let go and let God. That's one of our sayings at Celebrate Recovery, and it sticks with me. I use it a lot. Anytime that trouble and stuff comes my way, it's stuck in my head to let go, let God. Don't take control by yourself. In step two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Y'all know the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. I remember when I first came in to celebrate recovery, and I went into the 12 step to work on my sugar addiction. Seems kind of silly to some of you, but it was a problem for me because I would turn to it when I was in stress, which apparently was a lot because I started every day. Instead of starting with the word of God, I would start with a 40-ounce Dr. Pepper and a greasy burrito every day. And then I looked forward to lunch, another 30-ounce Dr. Pepper and another sandwich, and then I would refill that before I left. So I had a minimum of 100 ounces of Dr. Pepper a day plus all the other sugar. I did the math on this. I'm not great at math, but I'm pretty sure I was consuming at least five pounds of sugar a week. I laid in bed at night, and my heart was racing so fast I couldn't go to sleep. Between all the caffeine and sugar, I knew I was on my way for a heart attack. But God convicted me there and did a work in me. 
Because it says right here on part of step two, Philippians 2, 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fill his good purpose. <laughs> that was definitely not my purpose to be going to sugar instead of God. God had bigger plans than for me to be doing that all day long. Anytime I was stressed, anytime there was a problem. Step three, we made a decision to turn our lives and our wills over to the care of God. It's the best decision you can make right here. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. When you make a decision to turn your life over to God, it's the best thing you can do. Turn your will over to him. There are many blessings that come by surrendering all to him. First, we need to trust. We need to repent. And new life begins. In step four, this may seem, kind of seems a little bit difficult when we get to step four. But we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. What we do is we have this paper in Celebrate Recovery that we fill out. From all the way back to when you can remember until now, you're going to fill out the bad things and you're going to fill out the good things. And you're going to look at it with a sponsor and they're going to help you work through all this stuff. See, a lot of times there's stuff that's happened to us in the past that we haven't worked through, we buried. And some of that stuff in the past is holding us back. It's got us stuck because we never dealt with it. It's just buried. There's some things that happened in your life that probably, you know, sometimes it's not a result of the sin. Some of those hurts. Sometimes you didn't have a choice in the matter. There could have been some form of abuse. Could have been sexual abuse, mental abuse, and physical abuse. But God heals through that. And we, when we work through our inventory, some serious change begins to happen because in Lamentations 340 it says, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. It is an amazing thing that happens. In step five, we admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. You guys are probably thinking, what? I'm okay talking to God about it. But I don't want to tell my friends. I don't want to tell people what's going on. I'm going to keep that, hold that in. But yet that continues to build because you never, you never talked to anybody about it. You didn't let it out. You're just holding it in. It's just building and ready to blow. See, James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There is a healing that happens when you start confessing. There's a freedom that happens when you confess to one another. And most likely you're going to confess to somebody that's got the same struggle as you. You're not in this alone. We struggle with the same things. Step six, we were entirely ready to have God remove all these character, defects of character. I'm sure you can all agree. Let's just get them gone, right? James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Very important to humble yourselves before the Lord. Like I said, we don't have time to do these in detail. Step seven, we are humbly asked him. We humbly asked him to remove all of our shortcomings, 
And in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, if people come to me before and they say, man, I don't know, I, I just can't see how God can forgive me from some of the things I've done. They're horrible. God will forgive you no matter, no matter what you have done. He's going to wipe the slate clean. Go to him. Surrender to him. Ask for forgiveness. Clean slate and start over. He's going to remove some stuff. In step eight, we made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. That could be a pretty big list for some of us. If we're going to go back and make a list of all the people that we have harmed, it's a good thing that you don't put this step up front, right? Because we weren't ready to go there. But by working all of these steps and giving our time to God and surrendering to him, he begins, he begins to do a work in us. And conviction happens. And you want to. You get to that point where you want to go back. And that first person that you called and you talked to and you made amends with them all, it was super hard. But it was good. Healing happened. They, they don't always understand when you call them. It's like, what? Why are you calling me? It's like, well, God called me to do this. And I'm going to do it. Luke, Luke 30, can't talk. Luke 6.31, do to others as you would have them do to you, right? Step nine, we made direct amends to such people whenever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. We do have to take that into consideration. We don't want to do harm to anybody when we do that. So, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. And that's in Matthew 5, 23 through 24. So we're on to step 10 here. We're almost there. We only have 12 steps. We're about there. We continue to take personal inventory. And when we were wrong, we promptly admitted it. So you've come through the program a long ways. It's probably been, see, it's a nine-month program. I don't know, maybe you're seven months into this. But you've grown a lot. And now it's not, it's much easier right now as you're doing everyday life to take that inventory, not to let things build up. You handle stuff as it comes your way. But be careful, right? So if you think you're standing firm in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, be careful that you don't fall. Step 11, we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God praying only for the knowledge of his will, for us and the power to carry that out. Can't do it without him. This was a huge step for me and still is today because I needed to spend more time with God. I spent time with him, but it wasn't always priority, okay? I didn't start my day with it. It's like, yeah, when I get to it. I'll get to it later. Maybe at the end of the day when I'm super tired. It wasn't good for me. I've learned that I need to start every day 
with God's word and prayer for self-examination. I don't do too well without it because when I don't do it, when I don't surrender my will the first thing in the morning, guess what happens during the day? The whole day becomes about my plan, my will, instead of God's will. That's been huge for me. I'm so thankful for um, the change in my life there. I made room for that, and it's been awesome. The last step, step 12, we're going to do principle eight too. Principle eight, step 12, they go together. Yield myself to God is principle eight, to, you, to be used to bring this good news to others, both by my example and by my words. Happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. And then in step 12, having had a spiritual experience as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves. You may also be tempted in Galatians 6.1. So what happens is we did this nine-month program, and God has transformed us. So in this, we are ready to say yes. Because there's a purpose behind that pain. All the stuff that we've went through, we are able to share it with others and encourage others and say, hey, let me tell you about these tools that God has given me to help me over my hurts, my habits, and my hangups. God does not want us to be a slave to any of these. He doesn't want us to be stuck because God has that perfect plan for each and every one of us. And he doesn't want you to be stuck, so... Man, I thank you for your time this morning. And um, I would love for you guys to join us in that journey of recovery, to let go and to let God, to surrender whatever that you're struggling with, to make some room for what he wants to do. We meet every Wednesday night at six o'clock, even when it's a blizzard sometimes. It seemed to snow every Wednesday this year when we were meeting. September 6th would be an awesome time to come. September 6th at 6. We're going to have some worship. We're always thankful for Ken who provides a worship team. And um, September 6th at 6, we're going to have a little testimony night and we're going to have a barbecue. I think I talked Pastor John into coming and cooking us some food, so I'm pretty sure he's going to be there too. Our first full lesson on denial will be on the 13th of September I started that lesson today, but we didn't go through the whole thing. So come and get the rest of the story. A little Paul Harvey stuff. Now, this has really stretched me to be up here. This is not my comfort zone. But I'm just trying to say yes and do what God wants me to do. So we have a powerful testimony coming up. I'm going to pray, and we're going to hear a powerful testimony. God, we uh, thank you for what you're doing here. And I pray that you would uh, stir in us this morning and that we would be willing to surrender to you and make some room. In your name, amen. My name is Heidi Huck, and I'm a faithful believer in Jesus Christ, who is in recovery and struggles with anger and mental health. The verse and story that was my theme for Celebrate Recovery is found in Daniel 3, 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
and the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow to King Nebuchadnezzar's golden image. And when asked about this, they answered and said to the king, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this is the case, God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you that we do not bow to your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. I am here to testify a bit about my fiery furnace and how today I know that my God can and is delivering me. But even if he does not, he is still my God. Growing up in the mountains of Colorado in a Christian home, I was taught at an early age to pursue a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. On January 25, 1987, my younger sister Amanda slipped through a hole in the ice of the Colorado River that was in front of our home. After nearly two hours under the ice, she was pulled out but was soon pronounced dead. This tragedy, upon reflection, facilitated a live intense modus operandum, or MO, within me. I wasn't afraid of death per se, but I sure approached life as if it were a ticking time bomb, and I quickly learned to suppress my emotions. As the oldest of six children, our home was quite busy. My teenage years became marked with ignoring my fears, pains, and hurts by stuffing down and disregarding them. Soon, a regimen of perfectionism, blind obedience, and pride dominated my life, and I justified this as the plot or the curse of the good girl. My hurts were easier to mask with intensity, drive, and a stiff upper lip, and my lifestyle choice to live this way became a habit and a hang-up that would eventually take a toll on my mental health. You see, nothing was ever enough. I wasn't satisfied, joyful, or even fulfilled. As valedictorian, I earned a full Athletic Division I scholarship to Oral Roberts University. I was NCAA Athlete of the Year for Oklahoma. I finished my master's in Israel. I had a solid career ahead of me, but none of it was ever good enough. I was never good enough. So I kept striving, straining, and driving, but no end goal was really in sight. The striving and straining became my norm or my comfort zone. My faith even became a job, one I worked at, but never rested in. In 2000, I moved to Nebraska and got married to my husband, Matt. We would have three children, Jake, Cade, and Naya, who I have homeschooled and world schooled for the past 17 to 18 years. And I'd be honest, I mothered hard, another area I strained at. I had a few miscarriages in there. I developed ITP, a rare blood plate disease, and my sisters, who are my best friends, rejected my family for a religious group all of which I suppressed and tried to carry on as though I was fine. Around 2012, because I learned to shut down my emotions, my immune system and nervous system paid the price. I have since learned that the practice of repressing emotions as a survival strategy becomes a physiological illness later on in life. In fact, I developed such a toxic pattern of faking fine, exploding in anger because I was fed up with faking fine, and then feeling so guilty about my anger outburst to just fake fine again. I pleaded with God in prayer to deliver me. I attended detox retreats and devoted my life to study, trying to fix myself, but I lacked the tools to help or fix myself. My head and heart connection was missing. As a mother, I was trying to give from a depleted source. I needed emotional, physical, and spiritual validation, nourishment, and even support. 
However, I was looking in all the wrong places. I was supplementing with the wrong things, and my cup was truly empty. Finally, I had a breakdown, and depression set in. It was such a dark place since time, especially since I live remotely and secluded. The turmoil would just escalate, but it was hidden as well. I suffered alone for quite some time, and honestly, oftentimes I just didn't want to wake up from the heaviness of living. My husband and children took the brunt of this depressive state and cycle that I was in. That brought me to CR. I really don't remember how I arrived at Mitchell Berean on September 21st, 2022 for CR. But as I sat in the back pew, ashamed and berating myself for getting to this dark place, I knew the Holy Spirit had directed my path. Matthew 11:28 just played over and over in my head. Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It would just ring in my ears. All of those hot, spicy tears that I had suppressed for years just flowed out. And as the ladies in my 12-step group can attest, my tears continued to flow during those months of healing. You see, I believed I had no excuse to struggle with mental health issues because that's that's first world problems for unbelievers, or so I told myself. I had sought help in the past. I was often told to just be more thankful. Be happy, it's a choice. Dig deeper into your faith, pray harder, take medication. Although the people that gave me this counsel meant well, none of it was addressing the root cause of my hurts and my habits. I truly lacked the tools to fix myself. That is where CR 12-step has assisted me. I was given the space, tools, and accountability to identify my toxic patterns from my timeline and inventory. Walking through the recovery process with Jesus Christ as the center allowed me to recognize my powerlessness to control or hide my brokenness. I've had to relearn to accept Jesus Christ's unconditional love and forgiveness. Although I have not arrived per se at an end line, and the work of CR is really an ongoing lifestyle for here on earth, the healing and shalom holistic peace that I am experiencing is so validating. The women in my 12-step group and the journey we embarked upon together was so encouraging and rewarding. So I am here to testify that I truly start my day with a amen, let it be so, with my palms up in surrender, because just like in the story of Daniel, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, no matter what type of fiery furnace I may encounter, he is still my God. Thank you.